0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features
1: and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quickfire conversation about interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we're going to be talking about the Right Now campaign and what we hope could come up in Rishi Sunak's Spring Budget. But before we do that, we finally have a government roadmap, a long one way road to freedom or something like that. Boris Johnson called it. So before we get into what this potentially means for the sector, um, what is the kind of silliest thing that you are most excited about doing as and when things start to unlock, Rebecca?
0: Hmm. So... My birthday is not that long after they are opening up pub gardens again. So Excellent. a little bit of me would quite like to have a birthday in a pub garden and just sit there all day. Um, we'll see whether that actually happens. Um, haircuts would be good. There's, there's a lot of hair on my head and it's it's annoying at this point. We both feel the pain of the home done fringe trim. And yeah. I know
1: that that comes up regularly uh, in the podcast. So, I yes, I definitely agree with that one. How about you? Yeah. Um, it's tragic. I am also fixated on a pub garden, but I don't even want to have a drink. I want to have a I want to have a lime and soda. I am absolutely desperate for a pub lime and soda with a pint glass which is like filled up to the brim with too much ice and has both lime cordial and fresh ice in it and then I want to sit under one of those hanging baskets which sort of trails leaves onto my head and I just want to drink it slowly. That is what I am that's what I would like for my birthday and in fact we do have birthdays at almost exactly the same time don't we yes obviously we're all really desperate to do the big things we want to hug our friends and our family yeah and that sort of thing but I just am so excited to have kind of slightly little silly superficial pleasures coming back into life again
0: Uh, so it'll be a lime and soda for me that's yeah. a very vivid picture and it sounds nice it sounds good um yeah i mean i i was thinking the other day i've kind of accidentally given up optimism for lent like i just i'm just oh. I'm, not oh, conv- no. I'm just not convinced it's gonna happen do you know what i mean after this long i'm like yeah probably not like you know when you were saying it's a, it's a one-way roadmap i was like eh, that's, a, that's a confident confident thing for someone that's known for doing u-turns to talk about it being one way isn't it mm. um indeed but we will see we will see
1: um well, I think what I'm doing is I'm just starting really small. So, you know, I'm beginning with lime and soda, working my way up to maybe I'll get married this year. <laughs> there is uh, that. After it <laughs> You know <laughs> I think it's baby it's baby steps, yeah. isn't it? I'm not going to put all my I'm not gonna put all my eggs in Boris Johnson's basket right now because uh I don't trust him at all, at all.
0: But we can hope. It's important to hold on to those little things. It is indeed um so on that note shall we talk about the right now campaign let's do it right now let's do it
1: so as we mentioned on the podcast last week the right now campaign is the newest evolution of 2020's everyday counts can you remember when it was everyday counts and the never more needed awareness campaigns I I was um, looking up Nevermore Needed and I was going back and looking over our reporting from that last April and I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah, before Nevermore Needed, there was also Everyday
0: Counts, um, which was pre the emergency funding pack. It was pre the emergency funding pack, but tellingly, some of the money is still not been delivered. So it feels like that message didn't really hit home, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, Absolutely, but these campaigns
1: were set up in the early days of the pandemic to call for emergency funding for the voluntary sector in the face of a huge anticipated fall in income. We all know how this story goes. The government did announce a support package of £750 million for the sector on the 8th of April 2020. But at the time, many charities and umbrella bodies warned it wouldn't be anywhere near enough to keep vital services open. Well, this warning is being seen through. As we discussed last week, a good amount of that emergency funding is still taking its time to reach the front line. And in the eight or nine months since the funding was announced, it's been a pretty sobering picture to report upon. We've been writing about redundancies, drained reserves, cuts to frontline spending and millions and millions of pounds lost from the sector.
0: So in this new iteration of the campaign, hundreds of charities have been using the hashtag RightNow on social media to talk about the work they have been doing to support people during the crisis and to call on the Prime Minister to provide additional financial help. On top of that, uh, a letter signed by more than a thousand voluntary sector representatives calls for the government to urgently establish a new emergency support fund to support charities and voluntary organisations through the effects of the coronavirus pandemic.
1: I do actually really like Right Now as a campaign. Um, I think the thing that I really like about it is that it uses these really tangible examples of the work that the sector is doing right now in this moment, to show actually just how important it is. And it's really relatable examples in there. So things like 2,500 food packages being delivered to vulnerable children daily. Mm. You know, more than 500,000 volunteers being mobilised to assist with the vaccine rollout. It's all about those vaccines at the moment. And the NHS... I'm not saying the government, because actually the vaccine rollout is not about the government. It is the NHS, which is doing this extraordinary mobilisation and rollout. But it's also being supported by charities. It's voluntary organisations who are out there. So, you know, I think it's a really, really canny move to take these um, things which are really relatable and really everyday and say, this is us. This is what we're about. But once again, these pleas and these calls for action seem to be going unheard. Or rather, it's not that they are not heard. They have been heard. But once again, it seems the answer is going to be no. So on Tuesday, when being questioned about the spring budget, Baroness Barron, the Minister for Civil Society, said there were no plans for another dedicated package for the sector. She was speaking at a Lloyds Bank Foundation for England and Wales event. Um, and it was interesting because she maintained that the government really has done everything it could to protect the work of charities over the last year. So she said the government had given a lot of support to the sector already, whether it was to quote, giving charity workers status from the get go, allowing volunteering through the pandemic, and obviously the 750 million pounds being the first targeted package to be announced by the government, as well as all the cross sector schemes. And that is what she sort of uh, said was, you know, that, that's how the government support looked for the sector.
0: And tellingly, she went on to add, I'm not trying to suggest this is generous or not generous. This is just about doing the right thing in recognising the value of the sector. To which I kind of have to think, have you though? Have you recognised the value of the sector when some organisations still haven't received their share of emergency funding and not all of the cross sector schemes are actually applicable to charities? I
1: do think it's a really, really funny remark to make when you consider that we do know the literal value of the sector it's a £10 billion income hole. You mm. can actually put a monetary value to, to what is being lost here. And obviously, I'm not saying that value is just about finance and it's not just about money. But certainly to me, saying, well, we've allowed people to volunteer through the pandemic, of course, that's important work. It's very necessary work. But I don't think you can place that on a par with £10 quid and say we have adequately reflected the depth of the need here. Um, so I'm not, I, I can't say I'm convinced by the remarks myself. The Right Now Campaign's open letter to the government does say that the sector is hugely grateful that the government helped to keep emergency charity services running. And obviously, we have seen unbelievable innovations from charities in the last year to keep supporting people who are most in need and keep that frontline activity going. But the letter repeats once again this warning that resources are running dangerously low now and services are getting stretched to breaking point so that's where we are with it and i want to say all hope is not lost maybe it's a little optimistic but next week the chancellor of the exchequer rishi sunak is due to unveil his spring budget and there is still a chance he might
0: offer the sector some extra support so what could he do So aside from offering to cover the estimated £10.1 billion charities have lost out on over the past year, which would be lovely. Could you, Rishi? Yeah, please do. (laughs) £10 billion, please. That would be great. If you've just got it in your back pocket, that'd be great. But unlikely to happen. And, you know, in fairness, the government, tricky to organise at this point in time, like, in fairness. But one of the things he could consider is the gift aid relief scheme. This is something that's been suggested by the Charities Aid Foundation and the Charity Tax Group, among others. They argue that if the effective tax rate at which gift aid was paid increased to 25% instead of the current 20%, charities would be able to secure between 450 million and 360 million in additional income. CAF and the Charity Tax Group point out that, on average, around 370 million pounds in eligible gift aid doesn't get claimed each year. So, in terms to additional cost to the government, this would be relatively low. This is money that should be going out anyway, but it just isn't. Now, obviously, that's not £10 billion, mm. but it is more than half of that emergency funding package in, from April, all raised with relatively little effort and, as I said, low additional cost.
1: Not too much stress.
0: Yeah. Right. It's a low resource way to get that money out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everyone's grateful for the 750000000 million. Wouldn't it be great if we could boost that by 50% again? That would be great. Yeah. Um, So they also argue on top of that, that the Gift Aid Small Donation Scheme, which helps smaller charities make use of gift aid, should be made easier to access as well.
1: Brilliant. There have also been calls for the government to increase funding for local authorities. And this really, really matters. Not just because charities draw funding from local authorities themselves, but because they're the people who pick up when local services become so stretched that they start to fall short. Rushanara Ali is the chair of the All Party Parliamentary Group on Philanthropy and Social Investment, and she's the MP for Bethnal Green and Bow. And she's been advocating for quite a while to ask the government to support local authorities in this upcoming budget. She has always, always been a very strong advocate for more government support. Um, And as an example of why this matters so much, in an interview with the BBC at the end of last year, she pointed out that there are 32 food banks in Tower Hamlets alone. That's just one of the boroughs that she is in charge of. And it is completely oversubscribed. And the... This picture of spiralling need, which she's seeing in her constituency, is not just about the COVID-19 pandemic. It's also these decades of cuts and the longer term lack of government support of local authorities. So help local
0: authorities out. And charities will benefit. Absolutely. And there's also the question of whether the Chancellor will extend the furlough scheme beyond the end of April. As we've said on the podcast before, the furlough scheme is of limited use to many charities because unlike businesses, they still need their staff to carry out vital work, even when there isn't any money to fund that work coming in. But many charities have been able to make use of it and may want to continue until restrictions are completely lifted in June. But fundamentally, charities do need more support. That's it, really. There's not a lot more you can say about it. They need the money and we as a society, as a country, as communities, need them to have it. They've pulled out all the stops. They've been incredibly innovative. They've been resourceful. They've made do this far. But that really shouldn't be taken as a sign that they can make do indefinitely. The open letter to the government by the Right Now campaign concludes... We are asking you to set up an emergency support fund right now so the burden of this pandemic doesn't fall on the shoulders of those who are most disadvantaged. With that fund, more people can receive the help they desperately need and more charities can deliver vital services to help our communities recover from this crisis. Without it, many in those communities face a bleak future. I do hope they listen. I know, like, obviously
1: we want them to listen and this is why this campaign is happening at all, but I just... Uh, I mean, I'm not that prone to optimism about this, but it would be just so frustrating if uh, they come out in the budget and say, we're going to extend the furlough scheme. And that's it, because once again, it's lumping charities in, taking this blanket approach to this sector with a very specific net set of needs and demands and expecting them to just follow the same rules as as private business and even public sector businesses. Um And I think what you've just said there about, you know, the the future of these communities is so important. I think there's a real risk that now we're coming out of the vaccine into the sunlit uplands or the one way road to freedom or whatever, like hackneyed metaphor is being thrown around this week. Um, There's a real temptation that people will just think, well, it's going to be over by June. So it's fine. But the need and the disadvantages and the people who have been harmed in any number of ways by this pandemic, that is going to continue long into the future. That need is not about to disappear
0: once you reopen society again. Absolutely. And as we've discussed on the podcast before, while there is a fair amount of ignorance within the general public about exactly the vital role that charities play in holding society together, I'm kind of at the point now where I refuse to believe that policymakers and politicians don't understand the vital role that charities are playing. They have been asking charities to step in and bridge those gaps for decades now. The idea that they don't understand that charities are doing that and what will happen if charities aren't there to keep doing that it makes no sense to me. And at some point they've just got to stump up and provide the cash to enable this work to keep happening.
1: I could not agree with you more.
0: I may, I may, I may break my Lenten resolution, not to be optimistic and just hope, hope that perhaps next week when we hear about the budget, there might be something in it for charities. Absolutely. All eyes on next Wednesday.
1: Each week, we are bringing you a mini coronavirus care package, a good news story that we've spotted in the sector.
0: So, Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? So, this week, I've got two stories, both on subjects very dear to my heart. So, uh, first up is the news that charity retailers were not as badly hit as the rest of the high street in the final quarter of last year, new figures indicate oh brilliant yeah right and it's not a completely rosy picture obviously there was they did take a bit of a hit but um so these figures uh, are actually only focusing on october and december because non-essential shops like charity shops weren't able to open in november but the stats from the accountancy firm bdo produced with the charity retail association found that like-for-like sales in charity shops were down by 19.2% in October compared with the same period in 2019, partly due to additional lockdown measures being put in place at the end of the month, uh, and so on. So then in December, the figures showed that like-for-like sales among charity retailers were down 26.2%, compared with 31.4% fall across the rest of the high street. So these figures are from the charity retail sales tracker, which includes sales changes reported by a group of charity retailers representing about 4,000 stores. So it's not a great picture, but it's not, you know, that is definitely positive. It's not terrible. Yeah. And
1: I guess it's it's maybe suggests that um, where people were going out and shopping again um, or where they were going out, you know, they were going to charity shops because there is, I think there is a public awareness that we need to be kind of doing good and, and um, you know, supporting people. So maybe it is something to do with the fact that when people were shopping, they were thinking, let's, you know, go to charity shops. They need all the help they can get
0: um, and try and and try and boost them. Yeah. I mean, also with all the clear outs people have been doing during lockdown, there's got to be some good bargains going. Completely. So the Charity Retail Association estimated in November that the second lockdown, which took place in England that month, would cost charity retailers at least £28 million in lost shop revenue. So, still not a completely cheery picture, but it does suggest shoppers are champing at the bit to get back to charity shops when reopening happens. And speaking of champing at the bit, which brings me on to my second story, and my pun for the week. I'm making a game of this now. Your pun. I think we should start playing weekly third sector podcast
1: bingo and the first person to spot rebecca's terrible pun of the week uh i don't know what you win i i can't i probably can't promise anything yeah on the microphone but you know maybe i'll send you i'll send, send you a chocolate
0: bar or something like that we'll I send you yeah or like a gif on twitter or something yeah you get a twitter gif, GIF. <laughs> a twitter gif um... <laughs> Uh, So, uh, the second new story I have is uh, Park Lane Stables in Teddington in South West London. So that's a charity that provides horse riding opportunities to disabled and disadvantaged people. It's part of the Riding for the Disabled Association Network and provides 3,000 sessions of therapeutic riding for adults and children with disabilities each year. So the charity was told that the lease on stables would not be renewed when it expires in May and that the landlord planned to sell the property. This left the charity needing to raise a million pounds to buy the site or face closure. Blimey. Yeah. That's not a small amount of money. It's not a small amount of money at all. Um, you know, it's sort of slightly uh, more than 10 times its annual income. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The stable- So they launched an emergency fundraising appeal to raise the funds needed and set an initial ta- target of a million pounds to be raised by the 25th of February through the Crowdfunder website. So... It raised more than £1.2 million in two months to secure its future. And as I say, that's that's almost 10 times its annual income. Um, but it did come pretty down to the wire. The charity needed to raise almost £500,000 in the final week of its campaign, so half of its target in the final week. But after the story was featured on BBC Breakfast last week, it received a flood of donations over the next 24 hours. And its target that's amazing yeah it's so good and comedians rory bremner and rob bryden were among the celebrities who backed the campaign it's now set itself a revised target of 1.5 million and hopes to use any extra funds to purchase additional land for its 23 horses to graze and to build a secure arena that could be used for rda riding and carriage driving sessions so good news story uh, great about, news story! Yeah, a charity doing amazing stuff, and uh, yes, getting funded and being able to keep doing that stuff, and hopefully expand what they're doing. The
1: fundraising campaign will actually have closed by the time this podcast comes out, but we can but hope that they do hit that revised target of one point five million and keep doing the really vital and important work that they well they'll now be able to carry it on. They still have their property. That's
0: great news. So, what have you got for us, Emily?
1: Um, I'm keeping with the animal theme this week, and I'm going to talk about Max the Miracle Dog. Uh, Springer Spaniel Max is the first civilian dog to ever receive the PDSA's Order of Merit for the positive and life altering impact he's made on hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Max is gorgeous. I mean, Google him. Max is a beautiful 13-year-old Springer Spaniel who became a social media star after he helped his owner, Kerry Irving, recover from a road accident. Um, After a lorry crashed into the back of his car, Kerry was unable to walk and he developed quite severe depression. But two years after the crash, Max came into his life and gave him a reason to start walking again and he chronicled their adventures in the Lake District where they live on social media this became wildly popular and as i'm sure you can imagine during lockdown with everyone stuck at home you would completely want to go on a ramble around the lake district with a spring spaniel um But in 20, so in 2016, some years uh, previously, Max actually then trained as a therapy dog with Assistance Dogs UK. And over the last four years between now and the pandemic, he has met more than 10,000 people through meet and greets, charity walks and school visits. He's helped to raise more than £300,000 for charities. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, thousands of people would join him as he went on his walks um, in the Lake District via Facebook Live. So Max has been given the PDSA Order of Merit, which is widely known as the OBE for animals. Yay! Um, He's got a little medal. I can't get enough of the fact that he has an actual physical medal that he wears around his neck. (laughs) Um, So the award is usually reserved for police horses or for search and rescue dogs. And Max is, in fact, the first civilian dog to ever be given the honour. Just 32 outstanding animals, dogs and horses, have been recognised for their work since 2014 when the award was set up. So Max is another very good and a very worthy boy to join their ranks. So I would like to say a massive well done to Max.
0: Yeah, he's a very good boy. Because when you said initially, like, oh, he's helped tens of thousands of people. I was like, oh, okay, through social media. But he's actually met more than 10,000 people. Like, he has. He's a very well socialized dog that is that is impressive that is impressive I don't think I've ever met 10,000 people yeah I'm not I'm not sure I haven't and, and, and to be honest after this year I'm not sure I could cope with that concept actually <laughs> too well uh, so well done to Max
1: well done to Max may he wear his medal proudly.
0: So that's all from us this week. We'll be back with another episode soon. So make sure you subscribe to this, The Third Sector Podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Emily Burt. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. And our producer is
1: Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. We'll see you next week.